when somebody embarks on a journey, it's not always a guarantee that he's going to experience the things that he's going to experience. I just recently started watching this show called Something Bit Me, and there's a collection of stories where you have people going out into the woods hunting or going on a hiking trip or going on a safari or something like that. And every one of their stories is about an animal that attacks them out of the blue. A woman gets mauled by a moose, but the thing is they all survive. That's, that's the good news. Um, but you have people getting bit by alligators, people getting attacked by polar bears. And there's just, you never know exactly what you're going to get when you embark on a journey. And I found that to be very true in the case of my journey to study Psalm 119. And as I was on my journey, something grabbed a hold of me. And I hope that today I can share some of that with you. Now, Psalm 119 may seem at first glance to be extremely repetitive. And in a sense it is. But when you play guitar, you can be uh, pretty surprised by the variety of ways you can play with just a few different chords. And that's the same thing with Psalm 119. It says many of the same things, but it speaks of them in an exciting way and in new ways to where you are constantly being surprised and amazed. So, the verse that we're studying this morning, for somebody who hasn't studied Psalm 119, I think it could be a pretty good verse that summarizes the whole chapter. And um, our text this morning is Psalm 119, verse 96. So, let's read that this morning. I have seen a limit to all perfection. But your commandment is exceedingly broad. There's going to be two main points, two parts to each point. I hope it doesn't get confusing. The first point is the testimony or the witness and his testimony. It's the first point, the witness and his testimony. The second point we're going to see is the commandment and its breadth. But first, we're going to see the witness and consider first that a witness is somebody who has knowledge based on experience or observation. A witness is somebody who has knowledge based on experience or observation. Now, it is important who the witness is. A witness, there are, there are consequences both to the witness and to others. First, to the witness himself. Psalm 19, or Proverbs 19.9 says that a, a false witness will not go unpunished, and one who breathes out lies will perish. However, a man may escape judgment on a false testimony in this earth, 
on this earth. Yet there is a greater judge who will bring the condemnation on his head at the last day. So there is consequences to the witness himself, but then also to others. And positively, a truthful witness has, has the power to do much good. Proverbs 14.25 says that a truthful witness saves lives. A truthful witness may be the grain that tips the balance of the scales of life and death for somebody who is facing judgment. And if you think about it, if the testimony of God's word is not true, then all of us have no hope. But because we know the testimony of God's word is true, it has the power to save lives. So there are, there are consequences to who the witness is. And I hope now that you see the importance of who the witness is. And let's take a look at our witness today. Many people think that David wrote Psalm 119. And my concern isn't necessarily with who wrote the, the psalm, but the character of the man who wrote it, because he is testifying to something. And so let us examine the character and the status of our testimony. And notice, the character and the status prove that he is a reliable witness. If you take a look one page over in your Bible... Starting in verse 10, we see a description of a man. He's a man, in verse 10, who seeks God with his whole heart. He's a man, in verse 11, who has stored up God's word in his heart. He is a man, in verse 12, who desires to learn the statutes of God. In verse 13, he is a man who declares the word of God. In verse 14, he is a man who delights in the testimonies of God. In verse 15, he is a man who meditates on God's precepts. So he is a man who is a godly man. He is a man, he is a reliable witness because of his status. In verse 17 and 19 of Psalm 119, we see that, first of all, he is a servant of God. And a servant of God is acquainted, a servant is acquainted with his master. A servant also sometimes experiences chastisement from the master. And we see in Psalm 119 this discipline and chastisement that the man has faced, that the Lord has brought upon him. He is a, uh, a sojourner on the earth. He has seen many things. He's been to many places. If a, if a witness has only been, if a witness is testifying to the thing that we're going to study this morning, if he's only been in one place, then his, his testimony may not be as reliable. Also, our witness is not alone. There are two or three other witnesses that back up what we're going to see today. His witness is backed up by Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. That there is a limit to all things 
that we consider excellent and perfect in this life. And that the one thing, the one thing that he has found not lacking is obedience and love and service to God. We see in other Psalms that there is a futile pursuit of riches. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances, they go up. They're altogether lighter than a breath. We are told of other witnesses who have seen wicked men spreading themselves like lush green trees. But then passing away. We are told of the teaching, in the teachings of Jesus that there are rewards for those who do not store up things for themselves on this earth, but store up treasures for themselves in heaven. And so, what is the use of, of understanding the witness? Well, first of all, we need to be people who testify to the truth. We need to be a people who, uh, who listen to the truth and who are willing to listen to the truth. We, uh, we need to learn that knowledge is not a bad teacher. You do not have to experience everything to learn of the end of it. And that is the wisdom in this text. That taking a godly man or a godly woman's word can sometimes be far better than experiencing the end of something. And so let's take a look at the importance of his testimony, the testimony of this godly man. I have seen a limit to all perfections. Now, in a general sense, this can refer to anything. This can refer to all things in this life that we consider excellent or flawless or sublime or worth pursuing after. There is a limit to all perfections. And so this morning we'll look at perfections in this life and perfections in qualities, intrinsic qualities such as wisdom, honor, pleasure, wealth. But first in this life, there is a limit Meaning that there is an end. Now, I love cinnamon rolls. And in Oklahoma, there's a little truck stop that has cinnamon rolls as big as a plate. And these cinnamon rolls are the perfect blend of gooey, cinnamon, and icing. It's one of the best cinnamon rolls that I've ever had. And the first time I had it, I thought, this is the perfect cinnamon roll. But you know, the thing about it is, if that's true, it means it doesn't get any better than that. It literally has an end. There is an end to the goodness of the things that we can taste and experience I was driving in the car with my buddy Jonah and his girlfriend Leah was in, the, was in the truck with me and when she was in town we were driving on this road and we saw this beautiful sunset and I heard Jonah and Leah both say, man, that is the perfect sunset 
And they're right. It can't, it can't get any better than that. That's the problem. It has an end. It can't exceed a limit. Some of us experience high states of emotions and we wish that we could stay in those, in those states forever. Sometimes it seems that we fly with angels. And we want to stay in that moment. But we can't trust it because it can't take us where we need to go. It has an end. Second of all, there is an end figuratively. There is an end to all perfections. In the fact that they cannot open every door. There is a limit to what they can open. Wealth or wisdom first of all, may open the door to successful ventures. It may open the door to, um, to peoples, to power over people. But it can't open the door to comfort. It can't comfort a man when the afflictions of this life take a hold of him. My heart is downcast, the man may say, but his heart says, oh, but you're wise. But what good does that do to me? Wisdom has a limit to the effects. Honor may open the door to uh, personal reputation or self-esteem. But it cannot open the door to everyone's approval. For the more that a man is put on a pedestal, the more his flaws are put on a pedestal. The more of the character the man is seen. Pleasure may open the door to delight or sensual feeling. But it cannot open the door to satisfaction. For the more that a man seeks after pleasure, the more and more and more that he has to try to get to maintain that. Wealth or riches may open the door to physical goods and fat bellies. But wealth cannot buy time. For eventually a man runs out of time. A woman runs out of time. And they cannot look to their wealth to buy them any back. There is a limit. And finally, they cannot penetrate. No perfections on this life can penetrate into eternity. None. They cannot penetrate into eternity. Imagine somebody with wisdom coming up to the gates of heaven. And they ask to be let in. And the person says, but where's, why is your lamp out? And the man with wisdom says, I ran out. And the gatekeeper says, true wisdom would have said to get extra oil. You cannot enter. And imagine a man with honor comes up to the gate and says, can you let me in? And the gatekeeper says, I see, I see all of these certifications and honors and your rank. But what's lacking is the rank of son of God. Be gone. And I see a man coming up with pleasure to the gate saying, please let me in. And the gatekeeper says, you've wasted your whole life trying to find pleasure. And you missed 
the delight of serving a God. You've spent your life in self selfishness. You cannot enter. And I see a man coming up with wealth, saying, I'm, surely I can buy my, buy my way in. But the gatekeeper looks at him and says, this money is no good. They all have a limit. There is a limit to the extent that they can reach. There is literally an end. They cannot get better. So what is the use of this? One, to warn us of the finitude of all things that we consider in this life excellent. And to warn us before we get to the end of our life and find it out ourselves. And the second use of this text is to motivate us to seek something better. It is not by accident that there is a limit to all perfection. It is not by accident. In fact, it is by design. There's a poem by one of my favorite poets, George Herbert, called The Pulley. And in it, he imagines when God created the world. And he imagines when God created the world, there was a glass of blessing standing by. And God, when he created man, wants to bestow all of these blessings on humanity. Wisdom, honor, pleasure, strength, beauty. But when almost all of the blessings he wanted to confer on human beings when he created them were gone, he found that there was one left, and that one thing was rest. And he says, if I bestow all of these blessings on my creation, and I give them rest, then the problem is that they're going to find their rest in nature. Not the God of nature. And so both losers are going to be. And so he withholds rest. And he withholds the extent that all perfections in this life can reach. So that we may seek after something better. And so let us consider that better thing. I've seen a limit to all perfections, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. There is an endless increase or a limitless extent to the breadth of God's commandment. Whose commandment is it? It's God's commandment. So what does that mean? It means that, one, he has the authority to command it. Two, he has the gracious disposition to reveal what's in it. Three, he has the power to apply its benefits to us. Now, this word commandment, in the way that it's used in Psalm 119, is only used in it twice. And it is a reference to the whole scope of God's word, his precepts, his statutes, his laws. And so we will look at it as such, as the whole of God's word. This commandment is also a reflection of its giver. The limitless extent of God's word is a reflection of God himself. Remember in Job, there is a 
a fathomless depth to who God is. And consequently, there is a fathomless depth to God's word. I've seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Well, what is the breadth of God's commandment? First, it is broad in its application. God's God's word is broad in its application and its use. Throughout Psalm 119, you have wicked men who either want to keep God's people from knowing God's word. They want to keep God's people from keeping God's word. They want to cause God's people to break God's word. And they want to cause God's people to forget God's word. That is the goal of the wicked men in Psalm 119. And that is what you will find is the goal of many wicked men in this life. Upon the people of God, they want to keep God's people from keeping his law. They want to keep God's people from knowing his law. And they want to cause God's people to forget or break his law. And you have the cry of the righteous man in Psalm 119 saying, All I want to do is keep God's commandments and live in the midst of persecution, in the midst of slander or degrading or deriding. The constant cry of the psalmist in Psalm 119 is, Hold me up, Lord, that I may be safe and have regard for your testimonies. Hold me up. Let me live and keep the commandments of my God. Leave me alone, wicked men. That's all I want to do. And so in this world, in this life, where there are wicked men who want to keep and restrain God's people from from keeping, from knowing, from doing, we have need of a commandment that extends to all aspects of life. And that is what God has given us. We have we have a command that is able to extend into all aspects, all reaches of life. In all things there is a commandment to obey. You may be restricted by the enemy by one thing, by sickness, by imprisonment, by slander, but that frees you up to obey God's commandment to love your enemies or to Control your tongue. In all things, there is a commandment to obey. Just when you think, the enemy's kept me from doing this. So it is exceedingly broad in its application, and figuratively, it is exceedingly broad. We are told that the way that leads to life is a narrow path. The way that leads to life is a narrow path. And that is true. And that means that we have need of good commandments that help keep our feet steady. In a sense, making the narrow path as if it were wide. There's a section in Psalm 119 that says, I shall walk in a wide place. I shall walk in a wide place. Why? 
for I have sought your precepts. I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. In Psalm 18, we hear of God giving a wide place for a person's steps. The psalmist says, you gave a wide place for my steps, and my feet did not slip. In other places, you made my feet like the feet of a deer. You enable me to walk on paths that otherwise would throw humans off. You enable me to walk in the way of righteousness amidst persecution. You allow me to walk in the way of the righteous. Because your commandment extends my path and I have a guide. So it's broad in its application. It's broad in a figurative sense. And it is broad in its value. It's broad in its value in itself. And it's broad in its value to us. In itself, God's word holds life. Verse 93. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me life. Verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous. God's rules are righteous. They are worth more than riches, more to be desired than gold, even fine gold in the drippings of a honeycomb. It's valuable in that it lasts forever. God's commandment, God's word extends into eternity. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And its value to us. It imparts understanding. It leads to life. It cultivates character that lasts into eternity. There is something about... God's word, the more and more that you study it, the more and more you find out that it just keeps getting better and better. The more that you are in the service of God and in the house of God, the more you find out, the more you want to cry out, Lord, give me more. Give me more. The things in this life cannot penetrate into eternity. Only God's command is able to withstand the hold of eternity. And so let us hear first of all a rebuke. A rebuke for not treasuring God's word as we ought to. And valuing things that perish. You know, if you really see something of value, it's very easy to let go of other things. If we truly understand the value of God's word, the value that God's word has to his people, then it is easy to put away the things that are so easily going to perish, the things that have a limit, the things that have an end. But let us also hear an exhortation, an exhortation to seek 
the better portion, to make use of God's word, to know it, to cherish it, knowing that God's eternal blessing is behind it. And there is no end to the river of God's delights. His wagon tracks overflow with abundance. There is an abundance of life. There is an abundance of pleasure. There is an abundance of wealth and honor and riches within God's word. And he confers it all to those who are his children. There is an end to all perfection. Let us test, let us trust the testimony of godly men in the scriptures. Let us remember that there, the whole testimony of God's word is true. Let us listen to the testimony. Let us shun the things that are going to end and have a limit. Let those not be the ultimate pursuit of life. Let us see the value of God's word and that it extends its benefits and blessings extend into eternity for God's children. Let's pray. Father,